one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. Before we kick off the show, I just wanted to take a moment to remind you that the ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is taking place in Barbados this summer. This, by default, gives all of my fellow cricket fanatics the perfect excuse to go and book a holiday to Barbados in June and experience firsthand the euphoric atmosphere at the Kensington Oval, the cricket mecca of the Caribbean. If the cricket alone isn't enough to tempt you, then let me be the one to remind you that a trip to Barbados can also include leisurely strolls along the breathtaking coastline, mouth-watering flavours of the world-class Bayesian cuisine, and, of course, plenty of rum. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados, the best place to be a cricket fan. You're listening to The Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. And we've got another busy show in store. We'll look back at England's dominant win over India in the third test and look ahead to the fourth with Chris Wokes set to return to the side, we think. We'll also get the Indian perspective with cricket writer and broadcaster Chetan Narula and we'll pay tribute to former England captain Ted Dexter, who passed away at the age of 86. Plenty to come over the next hour. You're listening to The Cricket Collective here on TalkSport 2. Army, a week's a long time in this game. A day can be a long time. And a week ago, there was me saying there was no optimism for England in the third test match. Couldn't see any runs coming from the top three. Wondered how we'd get uh, 20 uh, Indian wickets. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, I tell you what, I've got a bowl full of humble pie and I'm going to tuck into it during the show. <laughs> yeah, man. It's, yeah, I, I agree. I think it, it, the, the, the momentum shift was, it was basically down to a toss of a coin. I don't, wouldn't blame them for the, for the result when it comes to the toss. I still think it was with the toss, you could bat first on that surface, not a problem at all. Some of the shots India played in that first 45 minutes were you know, well, well, not shots you need. To, you should be playing in England on day one against the Duke ball, against Jimmy Anderson. You know, three or four guys pushing at the ball, driving the ball, big, big booming drives. Um, and the momentum shift was 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 from there, and it was huge. Uh, I was very, very surprised on England's body language. I thought they were brilliant. I didn't think there was any hangover from Lords, and I think the credit goes to the captain for me. Because at Lords he sat there like a you know like a naughty little schoolboy you know baby faced jail root sitting there end of the uh, test match press conference and he said it was my fault I'll take the responsibility but I've scored thirteen hundred runs this calendar year so you're not going to be throwing too much at me so the rest of it comes to me all my problem I'm I'll defend my team and I think his celebration when he got his hundred towards the balcony was a thank you to his teammates to say, you know what? Yeah, I took one for you last week, but you, you've took one and you've, you've got me one back this week because the way you've performed with the ball, first of all, and now what we've done with the bat, we are right back in this, this test series and we look like the team that's going to win it. Do you know, England have got it so, so right with the last two captains. And I'll be the first to admit that when Alistair Cook was the captain in waiting, I really wondered, I really had doubts about how he would handle the job. He didn't look or sound or come across like a man who particularly wanted the job. And he never really exuded a great deal of confidence. But what a captain he turned out to be. Yeah. And exactly the same with Joe Root. You just thought, no, no, don't you don't groom him for the captaincy. He's just not natural. Let him be. He's a free spirit, as you said, he's a cheeky chappy. 
And I, I just couldn't see him developing into what he is now, England's most successful test captain. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think two two guys I know reasonably well and their whereabout in the changing rooms when they weren't captain didn't sort of think, right, they're going to be natural leaders and natural-born captains. And NASA was a NASA was a natural-born natural born leader. He, he still has still hasn't got many mates, to be fair, NASA, but he didn't have he didn't have he wasn't this this warm character that everybody sort of chasing for dinner and things like that. He'll he'll give you some stick for saying this, but he was a natural leader, NASA. But Cookie's not a natural. He wasn't somebody that would want to. He would he would like to be in the like in, in with the troops and in the, in the trenches with the lads. And and I think Joe's exactly the same. You're right. So from that point of view, the way they've turned out, both of them to lead the country the way they have done, and still perform with the bat the way they have done, for me is there's a mark of greatness. And I think Joe is about to be. England's the greatest ever player because the way he scores and runs now, I, I can see him catching Sir Cook. I really can. I can see him getting to that mark of uh, of around about 13,000 test match runs, which I didn't think was possible probably 18 months ago. But now, the way he's batting, the way he's he's, he's leading his side, he is, I think he's absolutely brilliant. And I think with the way he played on uh, at Henley in front of his home crowd, was a marker to every everybody around the world to say, I'm back at the top at the summit where I deserve to be. He's got 1,397 runs, leading run scorer in 2021. And he's second leading run scorer because he's got 820 of them against India. And I think next is Robert Sharma with about 700. So I can't say too much more highly what, what this young man has done for, for the country with a bat and with a leader. And I think it would be great if, he, if he's on the winning side in this series. We all love a good stat, and the one that I enjoyed was um, Joe Root became the first man in the history of Test cricket to score hundreds in consecutive in three consecutive Test matches twice in a year. Yeah. There are lots and lots of records that he's joined other, but you know, there's a time and a place to say it's all about winning. It's the team that that matters, and uh, you know that. But sometimes you just have to say thank you, and uh, when you're praised, and I loved Joe Root answering the question about how proud he was to be to have when we say England's most successful test captain we're talking about most wins and he's got one more than Michael Vaughan now this is what Joe Root said about that after the game well I'm, I'm, as I mentioned before the game I'm living my boyhood dream I'm captain in England um, something that I dreamt of doing from being really small obviously proud to to have gone past Michael but you don't do that on your own as a captain that's down to the, the group of players the players that you you've got um around you and, and the coaching staff as well. They're, it's all one big thing. You're just the, the you're one making the decisions, but that they're the ones that are going out there time and time again, putting in big performances and um, they're really proud of the, the way they managed to do that this this week. I, I like that. There's there's an art to accepting praise, isn't there, Harmy? Yeah, he's he's just brilliant. I think he's I think he's a great ambassador for our for our, our team, our sport. I think young kids playing on Sunday afternoon, Saturday and Sunday morning, Saturday afternoon, would have been glued, obviously, with the school holidays on. They've been watching the test match, seeing a, a magician at work. And and I think when he speaks, especially when he speaks after something positive, there's always a a, a little element of, of jest in there, a little element of fun. There's a little there's a little grin on his face, as though he is that naughty little schoolboy, but he's actually done something... He's done something the teacher wants to give him wrong for, but actually quite, quite enjoys what he's done. And I still think they've got some decisions to make coming this week at, at the Oval. They brought Wokes in, you know, brought Mahmoud in the week before. They haven't been playing cricket, so a fine balance to get the right 11 on the pitch for, for the Oval. All right, lots of questions then. Um, we think, both of us, that Chris Wokes will definitely play. Joe sounded... He gave... Sam Curran, a ringing vote of confidence um, when he was asked about his place after the Headingley test. So uh, it sounded like he, he was going to play. I don't know whether Curran and Wokes can both play. It, does Mark Wood come back? Um, it'll be hard on Craig Overton. Joss Butler, we know, isn't going to be there. He's going to be at the birth of his second child. So Johnny Bairstow takes the gloves. Gosh, there are a lot of questions, aren't there? Um, who, who comes in in Joss Butler's place? I think it's only Pope. I think it's Pope for me. I think Pope comes in at, at number five. Bairstow back to six. There's been some some big statements made recently, but this could be the end for Josh Butler. I really think that 
He misses this test match. Pope scores runs against India at the Oval on his home ground. Best does well. Does but where does Butler come back in? Because he's he's Army. doesn't doesn't stack up. I heard you. I heard you say this on the following on podcast, and I thought, I think he's misread that. I reckon you thought it was two balls left and it's straight on. And it, for one reason only, one reason only, and that, and I understand exactly where you're coming from, but Josh Butler's going on paternity leave. Who's not going to give him the gloves back when he's only handed them over because he's going on paternity leave? Yeah, but for me, I've always been a big one, man, is that the shirt's yours. And I know Chris Silverwood bangs on about the, the, the rotation policy this and rotation policy that what they developed in the winter because of COVID and stuff like that. But I understand what you're saying about the paternity leave section and that, that, that fine. You know, as, a, as a father, I've got no problem with Josh Butler going away and we wish the Butlers all the very best from everybody at TalkSport. We hope that everything goes well for the Butler family. But when you come to playing professional sport, if Besto and, and Pope get runs in a frail batting unit that doesn't, haven't been scoring runs, you can't really say, well, I deserve my place back because I average, I average around about 30 in Test match cricket. If he was averaging 45, he walked straight back in the team. But he's got, what has he got, 200s, 300s in 50 Test matches, batting at number six. It, the weight of runs is not there for me for him to walk straight back in. You have to have something behind you to, to say, right, I deserve to come straight back in. And being vice-captain, being a good sounding board being a, a good guy in the dressing room and a level-headed calmness that is around, for me, is just not quite enough to warrant walking straight back into a team. England head coach Chris Silverwood admitted that the rest and rotation policy uh, during the pandemic uh, had to, would have to be looked at when England uh, got heavily beaten in India. Uh, <laughs> but now, after a rousing victory, this is what he had to say about the rest and rotation policy, sounding a bit, uh, a bit more like he was defending it this time. To be honest, I don't, I don't regret one minute what we did in the winter. We always put our people first, and that's what we did. Uh, we looked after the guys. And it's, although obviously we're looking at other people now, I think it was the right thing to do in the winter. And should we be faced with a similar situation at any other point, it's certainly something I'd have to consider doing as well. It's imperative that we look after the people we've got, whether it be staff, players, or whoever. You know, we've got to give them the best opportunity to perform. That was England's Chris Silverwood. And finally... Harmy, if Josh Butler was unavailable, let's say, for the T20 World Cup, that would be hold the back page headline news. I sort of wonder, people are talking about Josh Butler couldn't miss the ashes, you know, young family just had a second child. As you said, we hope that all, all goes well and smoothly. You know, with Ben Folks and Johnny Bairstow and, and, you know, I just sort of wonder, I'm a massive Josh Butler fan, but, but if he didn't go uh, on the ashes, you know, would it be that much of a, I mean, we're not talking like <laughs> Joe Root not going, mm. are we? Not yet, no. We all, we're all the only one that seems to have the, the noise. There was a, an article at the weekend by Simon Wilde who said up to 10 players won't go to the Ashes. I mean, 10 players is a lot of players. A lot of players in a, in a team. And, I'm, and if, the, if, he's, if he's saying 10, then you're talking, you probably are talking about all the, all the guys with children and, and Root and Anderson and all that are one. And that's why I made that... You know, big bold claim that it wouldn't surprise me if Anderson walks at the end of Manchester because of because if he thinks the Ashes is not going to go ahead, I think he'd want to go on his terms rather than and it will go ahead. The Ashes will go ahead. Just depends on who's playing. But Butler seems to be the one. Or the noises that it is Butler's the one that's the first one to say, look, that if my family can't go, and I'm go- I'm not going. I back him one hundred percent for that. I know how he feels. I know exactly how he feels. So. I'm not going not gonna to knock Josh Butler for not going to the Ashes for family reasons. So, again, the rest and rotation policy, yeah, brilliant, well done. We've got seven bowlers out injured at this moment. <laughs> We've got seven bowlers out injured. My opinion on that is they're not bowling enough. They're not bowling enough. As a former fast bowler, and you get asked to bowl in a test match for 25 overs and in the space of a day and a bit, you run the risk of your body packing up. You know, at the minute, at the minute, this rest and rotation policy for me, from a bowling point of view, is not working because we are getting bowlers constantly injured. You look at the one we've got that we are going back to the well every time. And that's Anderson. And, you know, bowling is about rhythm and bowling's about the more you bowl for me, the better you get. And the more in sync your action is and how your hardened muscles and everything that goes with it. As soon as you start stopping and starting, 
you run the risk of getting injured. And I think that's where England have been with this rest and rotation policy on the bowling front. And it's time now to discuss what went so wrong for the tourists after everything went so right at Lord's. We're joined by York Media's Chetan Narula, old friend of uh, TalkSport, of course. Um, well, uh, people talk about this extraordinary turnaround from England's perspective, but it was equally extraordinary from India's perspective. I mean, you know, how how did they become so bad overnight? <laughs> well, you you win the toss, you opt to bat first on a on a on a soft wicket with the grey cloud cover and uh, give Jimmy Anderson one of the greatest uh, fast bowlers, if not the greatest fast bowler of all times. You hand him the new ball, and that's how <laughs> you lose all your momentum. You puncture all your momentum. The hard-fought battle at Lords, you built up all that momentum. You had. England on a platter, you had their batsmen who could not last 60 overs on their home soil. You have a four-pronged pace attack, which is raring to go, and then you win the toss and you choose to bat first. Like I said, that's how you turn around the series. And look, I was telling someone the the other day that uh, Christmas should now be celebrated on August 25 in the UK because... Mm. Virat Kohli has given them an absolute gift in the series. And Neil, I'll be very honest, the momentum has been punctured uh, to such a great extent and India's problems have been uh, identified to such a great extent that um, from here on, England are the favourites to win the series. And Chen, about the, the, you know, the tosses, the toss is one thing, the performance is, yeah. is the next thing. And there's a whole host of things I think India need to look at. I said right from the very start, before the test match started, that Rishi Pant is in number six, possibly in India. There's no way he can bat number six and bat the way he bats like that against the moving ball in England. And that, you know, that's, that seems to have come true. The, the middle order's not you know, fired, even though Pajara got, got 91, but you just thought even during that partnership, the one wicket away from just being run through. Where do India go from here when it comes to changes? Do they bring a batsman in? Do they bring another bowler in? Do they move Pant down to seven? Is Virat Kohli's ego going to have anything like that um, to consider? Um, I think India are being obtuse about their team selection. If you remember the pre, you know, the pre-series show that we did, I told you clearly, you know, the one way India will lose this test series if they screw up their team selection and that's what they've been doing they've been playing five bowlers out of which four are pacers and then you play the one spinner who's not really a spinner in English conditions Uh, and one of the greatest all-time spinners is uh, sitting on your bench twiddling thumbs I mean I was talking about gifting uh, the toss to England uh, at Leeds you've also been gifting not playing Ashwin. I mean, you look. If any opposition looks at you and sees Ashwin not in the playing eleven for three continuous Test matches, that's an absolute gift. And I think the Indian captain and the Indian team management are being obtuse about their team selection. Even in the post-match, at least they said they batted well in the second innings, and this is a formula that will continue. I think they're being absolutely obtuse about this team selection. You asked me what needs to change, uh, batsman or bowler. You need a new batsman as well as a new bowler. I mean, um, uh, Ashwin uh, should come in. He obviously, if I were Virat Kohli, he would have played all five test matches ahead of Jadeja. Um, He absolutely must come in uh, ahead of Ishan Sharma. If they need to retain Jadeja, that's fine. But he absolutely must play, Ashwin, that is. And I think uh, it's time for a change in the Indian middle order as well. I think Ajinkya Rahane is out of time. However, uh, the big thing is he scored as many runs as Virat Kohli. So who can question Virat Kohli really? Pujara, just by the skin of his teeth, he's uh, saved himself with that 91. But um, like I said earlier, you know, a host of problems have been identified in India's uh, India's lineup. And I think they, they will be under the pump to make the right changes. If you don't make the right changes, the series is as good as gone. So let's go back to Rishabh Pant, can we, just for a second? Yeah. Um, yeah. It's a bugbear of mine, um, and it, I'm not that my opinion matters at all, but I have never been able to understand the player who says, well, that's the way I play. Um, and, you know, you hear commentators saying like, oh, well, he only knows one way. I mean, that's like being a tennis player, only being able to play on clay or grass. I mean, if you if you want to be a great player, you have to be able to adapt your game. You absolutely have to. I mean, there's question marks over his defence, but it's his, it's his attitude that, um, I mean, that's what gets me. It's exhilarating. It's thrilling. It's, it's memorable. It's absolutely wonderful when it comes off. But, you know, 
when it doesn't, and it won't in England against the Dukes on a seeming wicket. Uh, absolutely. Uh, I agree with you there, Neil, because uh, you need adaptability to survive in international cricket. And this Rishabh Pant reminds me of the Rishabh Pant from a year ago or, or even two years ago, who was really struggling and failing to adapt to international cricket across conditions. I think he turned a tide or turned a corner in Australia this year. Uh, I thought he had uh, matured enough. But I think what's what's happened really is the team management has said that you go and play the way you want to play and you're the X factor and you're going to play the entire series. And there is no real competition. I mean, Rhythman Saha cannot uh, be the stand-in wicketkeeper or the second choice. His batting is not nearly good enough. And you don't have any other wicketkeeper in the test arena. Ishan Kishan is back home, who I thought would be a nice contender for that spot. So there's nobody really. He has to play the five test matches. And that's kind of giving him that leeway. However, to add to your point of adaptability, of taking responsibility, I think that plagues the entire Indian batting lineup and not just Rishabh Pant at number six. You look at Rohit Sharma. He's been given the license to play his pull shots. And he is getting out to pull shots again and again and again, if the Indian coach or the Indian batting coach can't tell Rohit Sharma to play play your pull shot, but play downwards, why do you have to throw your wicket away after battling for 80 deliveries and scoring 30-odd runs and then you throw away your wicket because you want to play the pull shot? Or look at Virat Kohli. You're, you're struggling outside the off stump. You still want to go for that cover drive. Check these shots. Why do you have to play these shots? I mean, I think the Indian team management is letting these big name players, these superstars do whatever they want. Nobody's checking them in. Nobody's reining them in. And I think um, that is that is part of the problem. And um, things will get much worse before they get better. Just before Harmi asks the next question, here's what Virat Kohli said, backing up what you said. He, he reckons that playing an extra batsman will be a negative move, and he strongly suggests that Ashwin, the best spinner in the world at the moment, won't play at the Oval. This is what the captain said after the Test match. I don't believe in that balance. I've never believed in that balance. Because either you can try and save a defeat, or you can try and win the game. And we have drawn games in the past with similar number of batters in the team. So if your top six or seven don't do the job, that extra guy is no guarantee of you know bailing you out every time. You have to accept that as a team, you take responsibility and take pride in doing the job for the team. If you have, don't have the, um, the ability, all the resources to take 20 wickets going into a test match, then you are already playing for only two results. And that's not how we play. And on Kohli, um, how long has he got? With the pressure that I know the pressure on the Indian captain is huge. But if they do leave Rahani out, do bring another batsman in and leave Rahani out after what happened in Australia, um, how long does then Virat Kohli have the batsman, the great, greatest batsman, but as a leader, of taking this team forward? Honestly, in my opinion, if India lose this series, I think that's curtains for Virat Kohli, the captain. Um, you look back wow. at 2004 and 2005, uh, you look back at Saurav Ganguly, he didn't score runs for 18 innings and... Greg Chappell was like, you should quit your captaincy. It's been 25 innings now. And Saurav Ganguly was averaging 33. Virat Kohli is averaging 24. He's only got one half century, which is on par with what Pujara and Rahane have got. Let, let me be very honest. If Virat Kohli was scoring runs, Pujara would have been dropped after the first test. If Virat Kohli was scoring runs, Rahane would have been dropped after the second test match. That's not happened because and only because Virat Kohli is not scoring runs. And... Forget not scoring runs. You're doing so many other things. You're, you're engaging with the English cricketers. You're engaging with the English crowd. You have your antics on the ground. You do not have your blinkered approach to scoring runs. You're not, you're not buckling down. Your first primary job is to score runs. You're not doing that. You've got a half century, but you've just done enough to save your spot, to save your skin as a batsman and say, oh, you know what? I'm Virat Kohli. I'll carry on this way. India had a great chance of winning the series in South Africa. In 2018, Neil Manthorpe was there. India had a great chance of winning the series in England in 2018. We all witnessed that. India have had a great chance of winning in England in 2021. You have four fast bowlers in all these three series. You have the best off spinner in the world in all these series. You have the best batsman in the world in all these series. You're not winning these series. No other Indian captain has had these resources. So what's the problem? The problem is captaincy. Let me go out on a limb and say here right now, if Virat Kohli does not win this series for India, if, if India does not win this test series, goodbye Virat Kohli as captain. I think it's time for Indian, cap, Indian cricket to make a change. Will they make a change? 
that's a totally different story. We don't have a Greg Chappell. We don't have a Kiran More, somebody who got rid of uh, Saurav Ganguly as captain. We don't have those figures in Indian cricket at the moment. And that's why I think he will continue to be captain even if he loses this series. But to my mind, his position will be untenable if he doesn't win the series. Wow. wow. That's, that's, yeah, that's some statement, eh, Manners? Yeah, I, I, yes, absolutely. Just quickly, um, I'll have to digest that. <laughs> um, just just quickly, Ishant Sharma can't play the fourth yeah. test match. I mean, I don't know that he was injured or not. I can't remember who's in this squad. Is Umesh Yadav there? Has he got a chance? Uh, no, I don't think he's got a chance because you have to play Ashwin now. And I think if they are not playing an extra batsman, they're going to shore up the batting with both Jareja and Ashwin and then play three spinners. The oval pitch has had so much use this past summer, the 100, the blast, the county cricket, everything, and now a test match being played there. So it's going to be on the slower side. Manchester, it's been on the slower side. So if Ashwin plays these two test matches, you go in with three paces and you play uh, Jareja. If Jareja is not fit, then Shardul Thakur might come in. I don't see Umesh Yadav coming in. Ishan Sharma, here's another statement for you. I think his test career is over. I think his international career is over. He's always been a rhythm bowler. He's not looking looking in any rhythm whatsoever. In the World Test Championship, he was struggling. Bumrah was struggling, but Bumrah's recovered his rhythm. Shami's recovered his rhythm because they've spent time in England. They've spent time at the nets. They've spent time bowling. They've recovered their rhythm. Um, We were looking at this uh, third test match in Leeds. Look at James Anderson, how he's bowling. Every time he starts a new spell, the first over, bang on, on the line, on the spot, on the money. Ishan Sharma, every time he starts a new spell, two deliveries way outside the off stump, two deliveries down the leg side, one bouncer, and he makes the batsman play just the once. This is not a bowler who's played 100 odd test matches. This is not a bowler who's the leader of the attack. I think Ishan Sharma's time at international cricket is coming to an end very, very quickly. So that's another, that's another puzzle for the Indian selectors to sort out. Yeah, I, I agree with that. But at least he'll go out as an Indian great. He's got over 300 wickets in 100 test matches and he's had a brilliant, brilliant career. Chetan, thank you so much indeed. We're going to finish this section with a quick quote from, uh, from or a quick comment from Chris Silverwood talking about the need now to keep India under pressure for the final two test matches. The key is just getting on top of them. We know they're a very good team. And once they get on top, it's difficult to stop them. You know what I mean? Like you say, we got, a tra- got out of the traps quickest this time. Uh, we put them on the back foot and we kept the pressure on them. So, you know, it shows what you can do if you put teams under pressure. And you know, when the game plan that we went in with worked, um, and I thought the guys executed that very well. But it, as I say, it shows once you put people on the back foot, you know, when the pressure gets there, then we can get into them. That was England coach Chris Silverwood. Plenty more to come. You're listening to the Cricket Collective here on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and Double Ashes winner Steve Harmiston. Next, we'll look back at the T20 Blast quarterfinals as all four teams from the South Group qualified for final today. You're listening to the Cricket Collective here on TalkSport 2 with the Institute of Cricket. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. If your passion for travel is on par with your passion for cricket, then I have some excellent news. The ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is being hosted in Barbados this June, which makes it the perfect destination for your summer holidays this year. To make the most of your trip, you can also experience eight matches from the series in Barbados, including... England against Scotland and England against Australia. 
In under a month's time, you could be spending your days exploring the vibrant streets of Bridgetown, drinking rum in the sunshine and experiencing exotic Bayesian delicacies. In the culinary capital of the Caribbean, there truly is something for everyone. There's no need to wait a second longer. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados, truly the best place to be a cricket fan. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe and Double Ashes winner, Steve Harmison. If you've missed any of the show or you wish to catch up, you can listen back to the podcast, now available via the free TalkSport app or wherever you get your podcasts. Quarterfinals uh, weekend, well, quarterfinals week, the the, uh, T20 Blast. I I think it's uh, often over the last uh, five, six, seven, eight years, has uh, represented a a key for many, many counties. You know, you get into finals day, you have something to show for the season. Um, And so the quarterfinals for me, I mean, I've looked forward to to quarterfinals week or extended weekend for ages and ages and ages, and they often produce some incredible cricket. And this was no exception. Let's start at the Riverside, where (laughs) Yorkshire had their home game because the Test match was going on at Headingley. Uh, they got beaten by Sussex, well beaten by five wickets. What did you make about the controversy, if that's the word for it, of Yorkshire bringing in the boundaries at the Riverside to um, to simulate the uh, size of, of Headingley? I know our, our dear friend Mark Butcher was livid. He was absolutely livid about it. He said, you play the game as you play the ground as you find it. But you know what? Personally... Yorkshire lost their home ground advantage and we're doing just a small little thing to try and emulate home ground advantage. I didn't have a problem with it. You? No, not really. Um, I heard Butch and I think Keezy having a, a bit of a, a bit of a debate and a wind up and it looked like a football field. You know, there was pointed edges right on, you know, down in, you know, in the pocket corners. The one thing about the Riverside, it's massive. So even when you do bring the boundaries in, you do look as though you're playing on a really small field, but you're not. It's just because of the size of the ground. We play on the biggest ground possible. And Freddie always used to say about Gareth Breeze, he's that bad in he's that bad in one day cricket. He's very, very good because he, he bowls no pierce on it. And every time he drags it down, you'd, you'd think, right, I can hit this as far as I possibly can. But because there's no pierce on it, you end up picking somebody out, which would have been six anywhere else in the country. So there's one thing about having smaller ground um, to emulate what was what was it, Headingley. The other was actually playing on it. And I just thought Yorkshire didn't turn up. If it wasn't for Gary Balance, that game would have been finished, I think, after about 15 overs each because you know, nowhere near. You know, what, the 40, I think there were 40 for three in the, in the power play. Sussex were always just that one step ahead, even though they needed Rashid Khan to get 20, 27, I think, of nine balls late on. Yeah, well, exactly. I was going to say, I mean, Yorkshire might still have pipped it, but how's Rashid Khan? I mean, you know, one for 25 as well in his four overs, bowling um, as always uh, when the heat was on, and then 27 not out off nine balls. Um, and, and also at the same time, in between playing cricket, talking with real passion and humility um, as his country is, is torn asunder. I mean, I, I just... Absolutely astonishing. I mean, cricketers have been known over the centuries to to play under difficult conditions, but um, I cannot imagine what he's going through. Now then, Hampshire winning a game they had absolutely no right whatsoever to win at Trent Bridge. They're 40 for five. They scraped themselves. I didn't even think it was respectable, 125 for nine. And (laughs) And then Knott's Outlaws are cracking along at 66 for one, needing 126. And a bowled out for 123. I mean, you know, we always say never give up. But the fat lady was clearing her throat a long time before that game was over. Oh, definitely. I've got, I, I was nearly switching it off. It was it was game over. I couldn't believe they got, it was, it was, it was the world in their hands, not take it away. And even Carter at the end, you know, he whapped a couple of sixes and you think they might get over the line, but... Now, Hampshire of um, is their name on the trophy because they've played some good cricket in the the T20. They did not, they didn't deserve to win it. They did deserve to win it because they, they pulled it out the, the bag right at the very end. But 
it's like not leaving it to somebody else. Nah, he'll do it. Nah, he'll do it. We only need six and over. He'll do it. He'll do it. All of a sudden, wow. Yeah. We need our big bowler, big spinner to come in at the end and whack three or four sixes to try and get us over the line. And unfortunately, when you're leaving it to somebody else, more often than not, um, that somebody else doesn't arrive and you end up getting beat. And that's what Hampshire, that's how Hampshire got through. Tell you whose name I think is on the trophy. Um, after the uh, thumping win at the uh, Cooper's County Ground in Taunton is Somerset. I mean, Lancashire made 184 for nine. Dane Villas, 42. Rulaf van der Mervo, <laughs> two 36-year-old South Africans. These these two kids, kids, 36-year-olds. Mm-hmm. I mean, what I meant was they grew up as kids. They've known each other all their cricketing lives. But oh, Somerset just chewed that chase up and, and spat it out. I mean, they're winning with... 11 balls to spare. Yeah, I like them. I like them. Um, Lamanby as well. I like that young young guy. I think he's got a bit of something about him. He's got Somerset over the line a couple of times now. And I know, I think Tommy Abel did the, the, the bulk of the work in, in this game. And you're, you're right, 11 balls in 2020 cricket. That's, you know, that's an easy win. That's a coasting win. So and even chasing one eight five, they never really looked in trouble, Somerset, I thought. Um, and, and, and Tommy Abel, he looked very, very accomplished, assured, and he, he knew he was in control of that run chase, 100-run partnership at the end to see his team through. And yeah, they're, they're, as good as, they're as good as you'll get. But I've got a sneaky feeling that the, the, this Kent Spitfire side are a, a decent side and they look electric in the field the other night. And I just wonder if they're, they're not household superstar names, but they've got players, I think, with a bit of experience um, and they might just give them a run for their money, Kent. Yeah, uh, Birmingham Bears were 84 for seven, and it looked uh, game over. But uh, our our new friend Jake Linton, yeah. top scored with 41 off 20. Just a reminder uh, that um, after that game, he was due to travel to Barbados to play in the Caribbean Premier League, but his club side had a a really important game to win the league. And so he travelled home to play a game of club cricket on the Saturday. His club lost, but they won the league anyway. He managed to sneak through. He batted at number four, and then he packed his bags and went to Heathrow to fly to Barbados. <laughs> it has. It's in. They're all you know speculating on the TV and saying there's a film in this. There's a great film in this. Is that a Moneyball film and? Look, he's been he's been a breath of fresh air this summer for for Warwickshire and you know, in the hundred, and also now he's now in the Caribbean. How is he? Look, you imagine going back into the school after that, telling you telling the kids, you know, the the story of your you know, this is your life for the last year. Can you imagine little Johnny, little Johnny going to the teacher? Yeah, what have you been doing for the school holders? And he he rhymes up. Well, well, I played in first-class cricket. I played in the 100. I played in the T20 Blast. I played in the Caribbean. And the teacher going, yeah, right. I bet you did. <laughs> you can just see that happening. So, no, uh, well done to him. Uh, good luck to him in the Caribbean Premier League. But just not quite enough. Brezzy got four wickets. But I like this Kent side. I really do. Bell Drummond, Billings. I think they've got I think they've got something about them. And they've got a little bit of pierce with the bowling as well. So, they're not, they're not, they'll not be favourites by any stretch of the imagination, but I think they've got a good team togetherness. And it might just surprise the other three side. Oh, they play Sussex first, and then if they get through, they might surprise if they get to the final. OK, just a minute and a half left to talk about, about COVID. And I've, I've deliberately squeezed this section because you and I don't... I'm not going to ask you about the veracity of uh, vaccinations or, or, or the or PCR tests, but... There's a massive inconsistency in the way fixtures have been affected. Durham and Surrey have been called off in their championship game because of one positive case in the Surrey camp. They're two teams playing for 7th to 12th place in the championship. When England had seven positive tests in just before the one-day series against Pakistan, they gathered together an entire new squad and pushed ahead boldly and won. When the 100 had two positive cases, they too carried on as usual. When Kent had one case, they drafted in a second eleven. So, can you spot a common denominator, Army? And I don't want to be cynical, you know, because there could be lots of medical reasons that you and I could probably never understand, however well they were explained to us. But it does seem that the more money involved, the more likely the games are to go ahead. 
Yeah, I don't think it's cynical. I just think that's the reason. That's as simple as that. I don't think it's any, anything to do with being cynical. I just think it's a simple reason that this probably shows you how much you know we are valuing first-class cricket at this minute in time. Like I said before, your seventh, your seventh to eighteenth spots in the county championship roster at the end of the season. Where's the intensity? Like I said, a floor. It's just it's not relevant anymore from that point of view. Sussex have seen that with their side. So to call a game off, that's very very easy to do in a in a in a, in a competition. We're not really that bothered about. You know, we bookended it at the start, chucked it all at the end, took the rest at the end, and said, right, off. Oh, there's a COVID test. We should call a game off. Both teams don't <laughs> get 15 points each, and we'll move on to the next game. Uh, that for me is. Yeah, I'm not being cynical. I'm trying to be as honest as I possibly can. The 100 carried on. The blast carried on. England's international programme carried on. But because we had a four-day game, well, you're going to get around about 2,500 people over four days, freezing cold up at Durham. Ah, we're not bothered about that game. We'll just call it off. You know, we'll go to next week. It might be warmer in the northeast next week. They'll be fine. We're not bothered about them. You know, what about these players that want to play and trying to forge their careers? You know, what about the members that have paid good money to come and, you know, try and find a way. You try, you found a way in the 100. You found a way in the... I could understand if all of them had been called off. Yes. Yeah, consistency. Yeah. Uh, when I said cynical, I mean, I understand there's a practical financial imperative um, to continue where games are massively financially embedded into the ECP's financial structures and of course but you know what that you know there are young players lots of young players were given a chance Surrey have made a bunch of new signings and I just I felt for the players I felt for those two and a half thousand people yeah you know if if you can make it happen yeah now tributes have been pouring in for the former England captain and chairman of selectors Ted Dexter who passed away at the age of 86 last week Let's hear now from our very own Mark Nicholas, who spoke to Jim White over on TalkSport. Because I'm quite close to the family, I sort of felt it was in the offing. He quite a downward spiral in the last month or so. And in a way, it was a relief to see him out of the pain. And, you know, so often with these situations, the suffering isn't worth it as he was clinging on, really. Um, so very sad, uh, very much my boyhood hero, a mentor in many ways, and, and a dear friend. I played a lot of golf with him. He was a fantastic golfer, you know. They talk about his cricket, but he could seriously play golf. And uh, he's a terrible loss because he was an unusual figure, unique in many, many ways. Tell me about the chat between the two of you when you'd play golf, because I know you were very close, Mark. When I say he could really play, I mean he could really play. Gary Player told me that he was the best amateur striker of a golf ball he'd ever seen. And in a famous game in Australia in the early 60s with Player and Jack Nicklaus, he was the one who emerged triumphant uh, so he could play. And, uh, of course, it was galling playing alongside him. So (laughs) there was a lot of Mickey taking about my feeble efforts compared to his. You know, he, he was very deep on cricket. Um, very forward thinking. He's the best forward thinker about the game that I've ever spoken to. Even in the last month, he's had ideas about how English cricket could move forward to fit all the cricket that's currently being played into the into the structure of the summer. And, and he was always sort of investigating. He loved to gamble. Uh, he, he punted on the on the dogs and the horses. He loved speed. He, you know, he had a Norton motorbike. He, he flew a, a plane. He had Jaguars. I mean. Ted lived life hard and well, and that was part of the attraction of being around him. Um, he had a lot of charisma. And Mark, overall, how how would you? It's almost impossible, I suppose, to answer. But how do you measure the the sheer impact he had on the sport of cricket? Oh, highly. That's a great question, Jim. And the answer is highly, and perhaps underestimated as such. He was a, a magnificent player, a stroke maker, a powerful hitter of the ball, particularly off the back foot. He took on the fast bowlers when he walked to the wicket. A bit like Ben Stokes today, you know, when he walks to the wicket, everybody stops doing what they're doing. You know, the bar's empty, the seat's filled. But he was a modernist. So his impact on the one-day game, he thought up the one-day one day game long before it was first played in 1963. He made all the tactics his own, and Sussex's county won the first two Gillette Cups. He thought up uh, four-day cricket. He thought up central contracts for England players. 
he was a forward thinker, uh, and he invented the the ICC World Rankings, the Deloitte uh, World Rankings, as they used to be. That was completely his through his own PR company. Uh, he invented the spirit of cricket with Colin Cowdery. He's had an immeasurable impact of the game, very modest, and so you've never heard him shout from the rooftops about what he'd achieved. He was especially proud of the world rankings, primarily because he said, I have rather a high opinion of myself, he once told me, and, and, and there was a week in my life when, had there been a world rankings in my time, I'd have been top of it. Mark, finally, where, where does he rank, to you, where does he rank amongst England captains? Well, his captaincy uh, was sometimes criticised for, for reasons that are quite complex. He was certainly an out-of-the-box thinker. He certainly got a bit stuck if it got dull. He'd do weird things to try to change the course of the play if, if he felt it was going nowhere. Innovation, yes. Maybe not the best communicator. There was an aloof aspect to Ted. So communication, perhaps below par, tactically well above par, and a fascinating guy to play for. Well, it's certainly a life worth celebrating. And many people have made that point. I mean, he, he would have wanted people to celebrate um, his life. Harmi, a couple of minutes left. Um, I've got a couple of quick-fire questions for you. I think it's fair to say, and this is a generalisation, but I think it's probably one that you won't dispute. Most fast bowlers take to test cricket at the start of their careers like ducks to tarmac. And it takes a while <laughs> to find your way do you recall anybody taking to test cricket quite as well as Ollie Robinson? Not really, no. I think he's looked quite assured, but I think we've got to also remember a lot of a lot of players come into test matches, into their test career at the age of 21, 22, 23, if that. He's a little bit older, he's a little bit wiser, and the one thing about him, he knows his game. He's a, he looks very, very simple with his how he wants to perform, which is I bowl the ball around about 82, 83 mile an hour, on a fuller length from a tall bowler's point of view, and I'll bowl there all day. It reminds me of like the McGraw type when McGraw was coming to the end where you just hit, constantly hit the same spot and not get bored of hitting that same spot. But I think in this game, he showed his skill level a little bit more because the one he got Pajara with was an absolute beauty. Shoulder arms swung back in. It was a fantastic ball. So he's not just a line bowler that hits the, that hits the seam and in and around off stump. I think he's got a skill set there, which he's which he's developing and working. Um, and he spoke he spoke warmly afterwards afterwards of just playing with Jimmy Anderson. And I remember playing in one of my early Test matches against South Africa, and I played with Martin Bicknell. I only played one Test with Martin Bicknell, and I reckon I learned more off Martin Bicknell and a short time playing with Jabagal Srinath than I did off anybody, any other bowling coach, any other bowling coach, because of how setting batsmen up, just standing mid off and asking them questions. You know, in between and like the net situation, talking to them and and Bickers, yeah, he only played once for England and with me, but I felt as though in them four days beforehand and during the Test match against South Africa at the Oval, it was Alex Stewart's last game. Um, I learned a hell of a lot. So Molly Robinson, while you got while he's still going, Jimmy Anderson, you take as much much as you can in because you know Jimmy's still got the skill sets, still performing, and he's still got the knowledge to pass on. You were talking about Ollie Robinson just, um, talking about playing with uh, Jimmy Anderson and our magician of a producer, Scott Taylor, has looked in his magic hat and apart from all the rabbits in there, he's managed to find that clip that you just mentioned. I noticed Jimmy held his wobble grip slightly different to how I held it and a few others held it. So I spoke to him in the week when we got back to Henley after the break and just tried to practice it in the nets and it went quite nicely in the nets. So I tried it in the game and, and it worked quite well. Um, something that I need to practice a bit more but this learning off gym is invaluable for me at this stage of my career and luckily it came off today. That's <laughs> Ollie Robinson talking about playing with Jimmy Anderson. Um, just a minute or so left and I've been slightly sidetracked and distracted over the last half an hour ever since you mentioned about the possibility of Jimmy Anderson retiring and going out at Old Trafford and I've been sort of, sort of trying to stop myself choking up a little bit just, I just it never, ever, ever occurred to me. He talks, still talks about his hunger of hunger for, for playing cricket and he's, he's bowling as well as ever, slightly better than ever, <laughs> possibly. Some of the overs he's bowled against India have been mind-numbingly good. You, do, do you know what? The one thing is, that if anybody listening thinks Harmy obviously knows something, I, I, I will tell you for sure 
that if you did know something, you wouldn't have opened your mouth at all. You would no. not have let the cat out of the bag. So you clearly know absolutely nothing. You've heard nothing on the grapevine. It's just a feeling that you have. It's a feeling I have, but I, I just I put myself in Jimmy's shoes and I'm thinking the Ashes is going to be compromised. Are we going to send the best team? Probably not. Am I actually going to go because of you know, the family and Daniela not being allowed to go and everything that, that that's going to come with that? The time away over Christmas. Do I really want to go into another summer against is it New, the West Indies and Pakistan, I think it is, finish at the Oval? And potentially one injury away, i.e. when he got injured in the Ashes last time or in South Africa, injured in, one injury away from not, not finishing on my terms. I'm bowling brilliantly this summer. I'm going to win. I'm going to try and win the last Test match at the, at the, at the ground which has got an end named after me. The last <laughs> Test of the summer. It's always at the Oval. This time it's at Manchester. Is there a better way to go out? Winning the Ashes would be great, but I might not get there. I'd be thinking, you know what? I might walk off at the end of at the end of Old Trafford and say that's my lot, or before Old Trafford and say this is the last one, because Alistair Cook and I'm a, I'm not saying this in derogatory terms because this is what Alistair Cook said. He said that Oval Test match for him was like a benefit match. He deserved a benefit match for playing 160 odd Test matches and scoring all them hundreds for England. Well, I think if somebody else deserves a benefit match, it's Jimmy Anderson. And it'll be Sir Jimmy Anderson soon. And to walk off at the end that's named after you, at the end of your career, in front of 25,000 Lancastrians. Not sure a story could be written any better than that for me in my career. The way he's bowling, the summer he's had, might just be, you know what, it might be time for me to go here. And what a fairy tale it would be for me. Well, Harmy may not have had exclusive word from the Anderson camp, but he has from Buckingham Palace. We've had a <laughs> we've had a bunch of exclusives on the show this week. You've been listening to the Cricket Collective on Talksport Two with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. If you've missed any of the show or you wish to catch up, you can download the podcast from the following on feed. Now available via the free Talksport app or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be back next week to look back at the fourth test. But for now, this has been the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. And this is your gentle reminder that Barbados is the best place to be a cricket fan. With eight matches from the ICC Men's T20 Cricket World Cup Series taking place in Barbados this summer, including the final, you can experience the summer of a lifetime by booking today. Aside from immersing in world-class cricket in the sunshine, Barbados is the dream destination for all travel enthusiasts. It is where adventure meets paradise, the culinary capital of the Caribbean, and better still, the birthplace of rum. If you're keen to unite with cricket fans across the globe for what is set to be an unforgettable summer, then head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.